The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to Data Gurus. I have Annie Pettit here, a guest on the show today, and I'm so excited to have finally have a chat with you, Annie. I know you and I have exchanged emails, we've been at conferences together, but I think this is the first time we actually can sit down and talk to each other. So welcome. Time to welcome this week's Data Guru. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Annie, I know many of us know you're kind of a household name in the MR research <laughs> industry, but for most listeners that are new to the industry and might not be as familiar with you and kind of your expertise, can you just share a little bit of your background in the research industry? Sure. So after finishing my PhD in data quality of online surveys, which I know sounds really weird. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I was a certified industrial organizational psychologist with the government of Ontario. And then I moved into private business doing research on research at Ipsos and, and specifically data quality and analytics. So I worked on millions of sample and questionnaire records using SQL. And then after that, I worked at a social media research research company called Conversation that was later acquired. And there I got to work on millions and millions of social media data records doing sentiment analysis and content analysis. And now I'm a freelance researcher and I advise companies on best research practices and do a lot of research writing reports, white papers, case studies, that sort of thing. So that's me. That's exciting. And I guess it, you are passionate and you love this industry. It's a, a fair statement? fabulous, fabulous industry. <laughs> Can't recommend it any higher to anybody considering it as an option. That's fantastic. There's a lot of change going on in our industry and the definition of market research, it feels to be broadening. And with that, the requirement of new skills and techniques come into play. I, I know that you are exploring new methodologies and coming up with new techniques. Can you share a little bit of your work there in terms of what you're working on as it relates to infusing some of these new tech methodologies? Sure. Let me go back just a bit to sure. um, the definition of market research, because I will argue every time that it has not changed one iota, not a bit since the beginning. Market researcher is somebody who works to understand consumers and markets. That's nothing about questionnaires, focus groups, big data, neuroscience. It's nothing to do with technique. It's the end purpose, consumers and markets. So in that sense, traditional research, and I'll put that in quotes. <laughs> yes, we've, we've normally used focus groups, questionnaires, but just because someone isn't doing those doesn't mean they're not part of our industry. We've just not been really good at recognizing there are many other market research out there using a lot of different tools, and they may not necessarily know that we call it market research, but really it is. So we're all in this game together, whether we see ourselves as market researchers or we don't quite realize that we are market researchers. I could not agree with you more, and I think that many people are scared 
or fear-based a bit in terms of having to learn a new data set or a new technique. I think there's a huge opportunity for our industry to be able, you know, if you look at data as gold, we have access to so much more information in this day and age. Right, right. And given our history, we understand how people work. So someone coming in with one of the, with expertise in one of the new technologies, they know that technology inside and out. They're using it for market research, customer research, consumer research. And that's, that may be seen as a secondary goal for them. Really, they're focused on the technique. In our case, we're far more focused on the people, the markets, the consumers. So we've got that expertise going in, which kind of gives us an advantage, those of us who traditionally call ourselves market researchers. So in that sense, we've already got all that knowledge. In addition, we know how data works. We know how to clean it, how to analyze it. We know all the mess that people create with data. So, (laughs) So I think we're in a really good place to be able to take advantage of all of those new techniques as they're being developed, turned into more valid, more reliable tools. We know how that process of creating valid and reliable tools works. We already know the process of working with human data. I think we're at a, at a great advantage at this point to do a really good job with the new techniques. Are you seeing a lot of people embracing the new data sets and trying to figure out how to clean it, analyze it, kind of taking all those different disparate pieces and forming informing clients of what the true insights they can take from those data sets. I'm seeing mainly like the biggest chunk of people are keen to say they're willing to going to want to use. We're all in that position. We want to try new stuff. But we're also, because of who we are, very focused on tried and true, valid and reliable. So to to pick a brand new method that we've never used before as being tried, tested and, you know, valid and reliable, because it doesn't really match. So so I think actual applications are much less lower than what people say they want to do. But I think we are gradually using the techniques more as little small case studies, trying to get one out of the way, trying to get one working, trying to understand the nuance of that method. And it is slowly happening, not nearly as fast as what I would like. Sure. <laughs> I, I think the researchers are slowly moving along as they see the benefits of the other, the newer techniques. Yeah, I, I should hope so. I, I think there is, like you said, there's there's definitely opportunity to build case studies and, and develop new skills, whether it be, you know, for a specific client project, but more for further education and development, uh, you know, as an industry. Yeah, at this point, I think a lot of it is educational. And for the client end of things, it's a lot of curiosity. They want to just see what we can do with this stuff. They want to be potentially the first who did this stuff. And that's awesome. I would love to be in that boat too. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. It's nice to be on the, on the cutting edge as well. I mean, you've done the social media, you, you joined conversation very early and that was a leader in the industry in terms of new insights from different types of data. Yes, it was innovative on many fronts. And actually, I can just adjust the conversation at this point. Many of the conversations I had in those early days was how social media research is actually market research. (laughs) So I would explain to people how social media research uses sampling, how it uses box scores, how it's quantitative, and even so far as privacy and ethics related to these types of data. So I had to have 
all those kinds of, to me, what are very basic conversations with other people doing social media research who weren't traditional marker researchers, who didn't know what any of those things were, hadn't considered sampling, hadn't considered privacy ramifications. All these kinds of conversations were new. They were really focused on the technique, not on the people underlying the data. And what it represented. And, and yes. How to yes. That's interesting. I'm sure you were essentially evangelizing for social media research in those days and then continue to do so, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of evangelizing. So <laughs> I, I typically would speak about that at market research conferences, which would bring in other speakers who were not from market research whatsoever. And that's where the head-to-head conversations right. would come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and we had some really great conversations about sampling, which, which I love. So at the time, maybe only 5% of people were using Twitter, and yet people were generalizing results from those 5% of people to the entire internet universe. And it it wasn't really something that occurred to them that this tiny subset of completely biased people maybe shouldn't represent the entire internet. So I think sampling now is far more understood in that technique. The social media research people have learned a lot from the market research people. Um, And that's what's going to happen with a lot of the other new techniques as well. So what are some new amazing research techniques that that you've come upon or worked on 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 your own? Oh, gosh. Twitter's been a fabulous source of information for me. And one of the coolest things I read, scariest things I read recently, you know, we we say artificial intelligence or these new techniques can't read minds. Okay, fine. You can't read minds. I can't read your mind. Like we we know that's basically a fact. Yes. But now kind of starting to wonder this gentleman, Arnav Kapoor at MIT. Yes. He has this system where he attaches a device to the side of your face, to your jaw. And as he reads a question off a computer, somehow it's sensing movements in the face and the jaw as you're reading and it knows what you've read. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> that is so, it's crazy. It's, it's sort of on the way to mind reading. Yes. I don't know how valid this is. I don't sure. know how reliable it is, but just imagine the imagine. ramifications of that. So just the one I love the most, and I always come back to this, is accessibility. So think of if Stephen Hawking's had this capability, the blinking, the, the head right. motion, just to get a thought out, gone. He could communicate easily. Take this over focus groups, questionnaires. Once someone has agreed, consented, (laughs) participate in research, give them the questionnaire, let them look at the answers. And instead of trying to make them take words out of their brain and write it on paper or click boxes, just collect the words that are coming out of their, their head. It would be amazing if this was actually a tool that became reality used with consent. Yes, yes. <laughs> it feels like it would be an amazing tool. It also feels like consent would be critical in that. Yes. As, as with all of, these, as, yeah. all of these tools, yeah, consent is an issue. Everybody has a different understanding of consent. Every tool has different things that you need to consent to. So to just say, you know, would you like to try out this tool? Sure. Right. Not consent. <laughs> Can sure, I try and then sell all my data. Right, right. Here's my DNA. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, well, I know consent is a big topic right now with uh, GDPR upon us. And, you know, what are the boundaries in terms of what's ethically correct versus, mm -hmm. you know, what protects existing business models? There's yeah. a range of kind of opinion there. And what's your perspective, Annie, on this? I am a big fan of letter of the law over over the actual law. There are a lot of people who are more focused on whether something is legal, whether they can do, as to whether it is right to do, should they do. And in the case of GDPR, I think, or any of those sorts of yeah. quality privacy regulations, I am 100% behind them. Anything we can do to promote personal privacy, consumer privacy, I am game for it. And this is this is huge for the market research industry. It's day after day where I see even tiny little things that we can do better. It's like basic emails that we get from potential vendors right. that don't have an unsubscribe. That simple little thing, it's one little indicator that you're not quite paying attention to privacy. So how are you doing that when I get to the research state of things? Are you caring for me as a, a respondent, a participant in terms of my privacy there? I can't promote privacy enough in yeah. all regards. <laughs> I agree with you. I think, you know, it, there's a lot of work to be done. We kind of shift and you, it's really a lot of self-examination in business practice as well in terms mm -hmm. of what's that threshold. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully we all raise the bar a bit and we all can self-regulate to a common goal versus being defined by the lowest common denominator. Yeah, I think at this point as a culture, we are struggling with lowest common denominator. There are things are happening around the world where we are seeing the lowest common denominator rise above possibly because they speak louder. I don't want to see that happen in the market research industry. I know there's people, there's there's a full range sure. of ethical privacy opinions in our industry. I really want us to to take the high road. It's harder. Yes. Absolutely more expensive, but I think in the longer term it is better for our industry if consumers trust us, believe in us, know that we will take care of them. This will keep our industry secure even when other folks are having difficulties. We really need to make sure we take the high road in terms of privacy. I agree. It's, it's the long game, right? We want to yes. leave an industry yes. that we can all thrive and survive. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. And also there's there's people coming up into the research industry too and we set mm -hmm. the example for them in terms of how we all make these decisions and behave accordingly. Absolutely. There's there's that whole theory of millennials, whether you like that term or not, whether you use the generational terms or not, there's a whole group of people who are more focused than traditionally on doing good, working for the good of, of mankind, not simply for the good of me and my wallet. That's right. <laughs> so in that case, I would love to be a, you know, a 30-year-old at this right. point because that's where I'm sitting as well. And this kind of, of practice will attract those people into our business as well. I agree. Doing the right thing is important. Well, Speaking to that, I love this, I don't know if it's a club or organization or platform that you've created to help young speakers get on stage and kind of take off their fear. Tell us a little bit more about that. I think it's a great platform that you've developed. <laughs> well, it's interesting from the point of view of the people we are trying to attract are the people who are least likely to raise their hands to be a part of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're raising yeah. your, their hand for them. <laughs> 
that is precisely what I am doing. So I help conferences like IIEX mm -hmm. get people on stage, new faces on stage, people who have truly never been on stage before. And I put out generic calls. If you've not been on stage before, please volunteer. We will help you through it. Yeah. Now, I ensure some people apply, but not a lot. Right. So what I end up doing, I go on Twitter, I go on LinkedIn, <laughs> and I personally, by individual, check people's profiles and invite them to come. So I will look for people in data science, yes. in neuroscience, biometrics, all the new cool techniques and specifically invite you to present. And I get much, much better results from that. I still get people saying, oh, I have nothing to say. My, my opinions aren't important. I, I you know, yeah. this, this is not part of what I want to do. But with just a little bit of encouraging, they, they eventually realize, you know, actually, I do have an opinion. I do have expertise. And maybe I should be on stage. That's and, so cool. That's yeah. fantastic. In the end, you know, they get on stage. They think they're horrible. They're all nervous. Yeah. But I have not seen one single new speaker do a poor job. That's Literally. Really not one. And I've seen many truly flourish and go on stage multiple times since then. So that's great. <laughs> it's really fun to see that happen. How many people have you encouraged? Like how many people would you say you've encouraged and gotten on stage and kind of been through the process with you? Oh goodness. Maybe 75. Penny, that's amazing. Actually on stage and some huge pushes mm -hmm. to hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of people. So a lot of people end up declining, which right. is totally fine. But to have someone behind you saying, you know what, you could do this mm -hmm. is it's fabulous for them. That could be the one little push they need mm -hmm. to do it the next time. I always say, or I always think as well, that when people feel supported and even if, you know, they're not working directly with somebody, but they know that there's this person supporting them whenever they yeah. need it, it makes yeah. a huge difference. Yes, yes, it does. So as part of this, we, we help the new folks with literally any question they might have. Like the stage is 12 inches high and you should stand two feet from the front of the stage. Very basic things like that. That's great. Don't turn your back on the audience. Right. Very, you know, very basic things. But these are the kinds of questions that a lot of people feel embarrassed about mm -hmm. asking, but it's a, an important question. Right. So we help with all of that stuff. Let's just get the little questions, the big questions out of the way and get you on stage. That's great. That's fantastic. I wanted to ask you about your book also. Oh. You have seven strategies and 10 tactics to become a thought leader. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I never intended to write that book. Okay. Just as I never intended to write one of the other ones. But people kept asking me, how did you get where you are? How do you become more uh, better known? How right. come everybody knows you? So I would write out, well, here's a few tips that might help you. And someone else would ask, and I'd find a few tips that would help them. And I was coming up with all these little tips that would work for various people. It's like, well, I've just written a book. Right. So <laughs> I ended up putting all those tips together in one place. So whenever people do have questions, I can point them, them in one place. I make no money off that book. It's basically priced to be available. So it is, I, I can't remember, it's, it's two bucks on iTunes or something okay. so, as a digital. Yeah. So it is completely accessible to everyone. The, the point is just to, to help people to have out. access to it. Yeah. And you know, I think I've sold billions and billions of copies. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, my goal in life is to become famous from book. But I think it has a lot of good tips to help people promote themselves better on, mm-hmm. on Twitter, on LinkedIn, to do a better job of meeting people who they connect with, who would help them with their career. So lots of good points. That's great. And could you, if you had to pick one of the most important strategies from the book, which one would you pick? Now, I can't even remember if this is one of the things, but I would say share your opinion. Many people think I don't have an opinion worth sharing. I don't have expertise. No one will listen to me. I'm not important. Delete those phrases from your brain. They are not true share your opinion. If you like Twitter, share your opinion there. If you like Facebook, if you like LinkedIn, wherever you, whatever media you like, right. share your sure. opinion there and chat with people. Mm-hmm. Just because someone seems to be famous Kristen Luck, <laughs> no, she's, she's open to chatting with anybody. You don't have to fear this person is famous. I couldn't I possibly talk to, talk them. to them. Right. No. That, that's one of the wonderful things of social media. You can talk to anyone yes. yep. one-to-one. So take full advantage of it. It's great. It's getting rid of your inner voice that's negative. Just yes. get rid of it yes. and value your opinion and, and share it. 100%. Totally agree. And the other book is People Aren't Robots, a practical <laughs> guide to the psychology and technique of questionnaire design. Yes. <laughs> what in, well, I can imagine what inspired you. Why don't you share with the listeners what inspired you to write that book? That one comes out of data quality. So many researchers talk about cheaters and fraudsters. And I really think that is 100% unfair, totally unfair. Humans, people, you and me, we make mistakes every single day, hundreds of mistakes. Mm-hmm. We forget things. We, we say white lies. We make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We are absolutely not perfect. And yet when people ask are asked to answer a questionnaire, we expect them to suddenly become perfect, to suddenly be robots. Right. It's absolutely unreasonable. So the point of that whole book was to give people ways of creating questionnaires that are designed for people to expect errors, know what kind of errors happen, know what level of error is tolerable, mm-hmm. and then deal with those because that's that's the nature of human data. So again, I did not design that one as a moneymaker. It, <laughs> it it's the same kind of deal. I really want researchers to, to treat human beings yeah. like the flawed people we are and just deal with it as part of questionnaire data. We aren't robots. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> yep. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today on Data Gurus. And I personally want to thank you so much for doing all that you do in our industry. It's really amazing. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much. much. I'm glad to be here. Thank and you. I look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. Sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.